Hello, and welcome to part two of this edition of the Drawn Today podcast, where we encourage you to draw every day. In part one of this episode on the local scene, we spoke with three local artists in the Orlando metro area. In part two, three of the Drawn Today podcast regulars discussed their experiences in their own local art scenes. Hi, and welcome to another edition of the Draw On Today podcast, where we encourage you to draw every day. On today's episode, we have some of our uh, members who have, you've heard their voices before. What we have, who we have is Mike Sass. Hi, this is Mike Sass. You can see my work at sassart.com. And Jason Cheeseman-Meyer. Hello, everybody. This is Jason Cheeseman-Meyer. You can find me at cheeseman-meyer.com. And my name is Mark Harchar, and you can find my work at markharchar.com. So today we decided to have a little bit of a discussion about localities in the art world and and how each individual's local art scene can affect their business of creating and selling art and how different characteristics of different localities can really drive how someone needs to uh, work the art scene. Um, To start off, I know myself personally, I I started in an area which was about two hours away from New York, two hours away from Philadelphia in the middle of nowhere. Uh, So the art scene was a lot smaller and more specific um, as far as locality goes. And then recently I moved to Orlando, Florida, which the amount of people here is probably 20-fold of what the uh, my old locality was. And being right near um, Disney World, you have a much different art scene. Um, so I've definitely been able to see differences in uh, where I'm living. I don't know if you guys might want to just mention you know, the areas that you've been exposed to either recently or in the past. After you, Mike. Okay. Well, uh, if people don't know, I live in Canada. So I live in uh, Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, which is, it's about a million person city. So a fairly, a fairly large city, a good economy, um, you know, a fair bit of action. Um, but we're sort of in the middle of nowhere. Like there's not really another major city for about a two and a half hour drive. So, you know, you've got some towns and whatnot, but um, you drive north of here and there's literally, you know, nothing in, until you drive about five hours. And then there's like, you know, some towns that are basically oil industry service towns. So um, even though I live in a million person city, I don't find it um, the type of place where there's much artistic community that I'm interested in being involved in. Um, I guess in, in any city of this size, you get hobbyist artists, you get people going to various colleges and universities, um, you know, you get places that offer classes and whatnot. But, you know, our, our fantasy sci-fi art niche is just so small to begin with. And the profession itself is so sort of difficult to gain entry into that, um, the practitioners of our industry 
are are fairly spread out and and our numbers are fairly thin. So I'm probably the only full-time freelance fantasy artist within, you know, 2000 miles. So that's that's my locality is I'm basically by myself here. Um there is no artistic community. I don't really have any art chums that I go out to the pub with. You know, I've got you know a couple friends that you know know what I do can do it you know somewhat okay but you know they're not sort of in the field you know working day to day at it so my my circle of friends and, and contacts exists 100% online and uh and I think one of the importances of localities is in in my situation, and I would think this is very similar for a lot of people that don't live in a larger hub, is uh, you really need to go and travel and go to conventions and go to gatherings where other artists are and, and build these communities. So at least you have something, even though it may be online, at least you have something there to draw upon and to feed off of during the year. So Jason, can you describe your situation? Well, yeah. Uh, this past summer, I moved from uh, Phoenix, Arizona to a small town just outside of Boston. Uh, in uh, Phoenix, of course, is a huge metropolitan area. Um, it, it is pretty isolated. I mean, the next, there's, the next city of any size is, is Los Angeles, which is, you know, five hours, six hours away. But it's, you know, several million uh, people. Uh, it's about, you know, a little larger than Rhode Island is. Um, and uh, it doesn't have a huge fantasy scene, but I knew, you know, a, a number of guys working in the industry there. Uh, I would drop in with every once in a while. Um, here in Boston, um, I, I run into more heavy hitters in the industry uh, than I did in... Uh, in Phoenix, and I think more importantly for me, um, I'm I'm finding a sort of a broader range of styles um, among the people I, the other artists I'm I'm hanging out with and seeing around, and uh, I, I that's encouraging me to to kind of open my horizons in in how I paint and approach art, and so I'm finding that a very positive aspect of the move. The uh... The one thing that I had noticed about the different locales is, and, and we all are coming from the, the standpoint of, of fantasy art, you know, so the, if, if we take the, the freelance uh, work off the table that gets done, you know, online and, um, you know, the, the spectrum type of things and all that type of, uh, you know, the, the card art and, and that type of things, there's, there's also, um, Art that goes on in a community that a lot of people, uh, artists, are involved with to either supplement their income or is either a main driver um, of their income, and, and freelance uh, might uh, be subsequent to that. Uh, the, the one thing that I have noticed in the difference between my localities is when I used to live in that smaller town in Pennsylvania, there was no real diversity of art or styles or places to to show art to sell art to um, expose you know a local community to art because it was mostly uh, an older community 
there, there wasn't a whole lot of artistic venues. Uh, there wasn't a whole lot of art schools. So you ended up having small communities of what you would call fine artists who are painting flowers and different things. And, uh, and then every now and then you'd get an occasional tattoo studio that opened a, a gallery perhaps or something that uh, would would display different styles of art than your standard fine art that you know may or may not fit the type of thing you're doing you know as, as a separate venue um, and, and other than going you know the, the hundred miles to say Philadelphia to Philadelphia or New York City uh, where it, it's not always conducive to having to travel that far. I mean, I, I had traveled to, say, the, the Philadelphia Sketch Club where there was a, uh, a show that I had put some pieces in, uh, but it, it's, it's not something that you can do on a weekly basis or, you know, to, to kind of fill up your art schedule. Whereas in Orlando, there is just a plethora of places, and they're all across the board, everywhere in in every fashion and it's almost a little daunting because being that there's a lot of tourism there are people that are interested in that, that type of thing but you actually have to try to figure out which ones work for you and your style um, just because of the sheer amount of them and what you don't know is if you get involved with some of them are they going to pan out or are they worthwhile so you kind of have to try to pick and choose what you want to be involved in and hope that it's going to lead to something bigger and not just waste your time. And I don't know if, say, uh, Jason, you know, you being in Boston, are you experiencing something similar where there's just so many things that you could be involved in but you don't know if it's worth your, your effort, your time, your money? Well, yeah, but, um, you know, I... I I haven't spent a lot of time worrying about that. I've just said, okay, you know, I, I'm going to do this and I'm not going to worry about other things. And, um, yeah, I, I haven't stressed out about like what I'm not seeing. I like did my little sample survey of what was around and, uh, picked my sweet spots and, uh, and there we go. Uh, sort of, uh, a more practical consideration, uh, for me is, uh, a lot of, my income uh, comes from more uh, corporate gigs, uh, you know, storyboards for advertising or, you know, package illustration or, or that sort of stuff uh, pays the bills m more efficiently than a lot of the, the fantasy work does for me right now. And so being in a, a large enough city that there are companies around that, that do that, because there is a, there is a preference for, you know, Hiring someone kind of local makes it a, a little easier that if somebody's looking for a, a, an artist to do illustrations to go in a training video that uh, that I can, you know, drive into town and meet with them about it. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> for sure. Now, I think the industry that, you know, I'm talking about the, the fantasy science fiction art industry um, being, you know, the really small industry that sort of survives on you know, a handful of, of major companies and uh, and where the community is small. Um, I mean, obviously, that is the type of industry that takes takes you being present, being physically present 
you know, at, at certain key times in the year at, at conventions. So funny enough, as we're having this conversation, um, seems like everybody is at Spectrum Live right now. So yeah. Spectrum Live is going on this weekend in Kansas City. And, you know, anyone that has an interest in that, that is, you know, within driving distance and has the ability to attend is going there. And, uh, I mean, where I am having to take, you know, multiple airplanes to get to any destination and, you know, uh, spend, you know, I'm, I'm not going to travel to the States for anything under, it's going to cost me, you know, easily one to $2,000, um, I can't just hop in my car, you know, get a couple friends, split the gas and, uh, and go to the things like, like people are doing this weekend at Spectrum. So, um, that's a huge downside to living out of the way, obviously is, is you have to be, well, you have to go to these events. Like I, I'm pretty convinced that to break into such a small industry as the fantasy art industry, um, I would say unless you're phenomenally gifted with a phenomenal portfolio, you pretty much have to meet people in the flesh and do a bit of self-promotion at these events. Um, I was thinking this morning that at a bare minimum, every two to three years, you need to show your face at one of these events, meet art directors. I would say that's a bare minimum. Um, and that's, that's if you're already getting work and you need to sort of keep those relationships fresh. If, if you haven't got the work yet, then yeah, I mean, you probably need to go as to as many of these events as possible, like all of them all the time. But having said that, I want to talk about the broader issue of your locality facilitating your work. So on the flip side, I just uh, a couple weeks ago went to uh, the uh, the Calgary Comic Expo, which was a a fairly large convention up here. Um, actually, it's quite huge. It was uh, the artist next to me. I I discussed this with. He said it, he thought it was about as big as the New York Comic Con. So, although we live in sort of an out of the way place, there are a few large conventions that are comparable to. Um, to what you find in the states, and uh, the interesting about that is, you know, if if you're the only fantasy artist within 2,000 miles, yet there's a huge convention, you're pretty much gonna, you know, do quite well with with the lack of competition, with the lack of other professional artists, you know, showing the work, selling prints, selling originals, and whatnot. So I've been doing really well in the convention scene here the last, the last year. Um, but as an aside, um, so I was one of the guest artists at the Calgary comic expo and next to me was a fairly well-known Marvel comic artist. And we talked quite a bit. And so the, the, uh, the con had flown him and his agent up and, uh, he was one of the guest artists as well. And, Interestingly, so he he basically told me he lives in New York and he needs to make $4,000 a month in order to pay his bills. So his his property taxes, his mortgage, his living expenses, 
he needs to make four grand each and every month from comic art in order to pay his bills. And he was really, really longing to basically move to Florida, downsize his house to something that costs half as much, downsize his expenses to half as much, and uh, and try to pursue more fulfilling work. Um, he's a veteran of the industry. He's about 50 years old. And he was looking at some of my oil-painted fantasy work and really longing to, you know, lavish a little more time like we do as, as illustrators. You know, comic artists have to do, um, he does painted painted comic pages and he was saying two to three days per page, um, 30 pages every two months. So as an aside, what I was trying to say is even though he lives in a place in New York City that we would call, you know, more of a hub with more opportunity, living there was actually taking opportunity away from him. He was actually losing the opportunity to do what he wanted to do, i.e. spend longer on, on more significant paintings, simply because of the expenses of living in that hub. So can you guys speak to that at all? Yeah, I've certainly seen that. And uh, well, here, Mark, I'm talking too much. You go. Well, I mean, the the expenses of living in a locality definitely are going to drive a lot of things. I mean, I know in New York City, you're going to spend two to three times the amount, you know, for your for your housing, uh, you know, for an apartment in the city as, as somebody might be able to, you know, buy their own home that has an attached studio and everything else, you know, in, in another locality. Um, I can tell you that Florida as, as a locality is a very cheap state to live in. Uh, housing is cheap, uh, the taxes are cheap, uh, and it's, it's very comparable to that small town in Pennsylvania that I lived in, uh, which if you, a lot of people would actually travel the two hours from New York City to live near my old locale just because they can afford to live there and they would actually spend that extra you know, two, ac- two hours of travel time every day just so they didn't have to live in New York City. Uh, as far as the ability to, you know, ex- experiment in, in different areas that, you know, might be more fulfilling for you, uh, I've noticed that there are a number, number of people down here, and I'm, I'm just touching in this myself since I just moved here, but, for example, uh, there are a lot of venues where they will have street fairs where people will show up, you know, paint for an evening, you know, sell their stuff, uh, and then just tear down, go away, and, and it just disappears like it can't, like, you know, like an old-time carnival. Um, there are places, and, and, and I've seen people in venues like that that are selling everything from, you know, flowers and plants and still lives to... Um, there was one woman who she uh, she's an artist herself. She used to pose for Boris uh, Vallejo, uh, and she does fantasy work. She was set up right next to the person you know who did the still lives. There's a person next to her that was painting you know owls and wildlife, and next to that person was someone painting a, very much a, in a in a Disney animation style oil painting, and they all fit in, and they were all able to do their thing, and they all had people interested because the variety of people that show up in some of these areas because this is a tourist area enables people to do a little more of, of what they want 
and what interests them, what's fulfilling for them, just because you get this random amount of people coming from all over the world. Whereas, you know, somewhere like the venue where I used to live, you didn't have that. You had the people who lived there, and that was it. And the people who lived there were only interested in one thing, or you know. So there, there's well, definitely. I want to expand upon that a bit because one of the points I wanted to make is. Um, like with fantasy science fiction art, like entertainment art, art based on games and, and well-known franchises, one of the interesting things is that um, like the fans of these pop culture franchises are, are quite spread out. They exist everywhere in large numbers. Um, you can go to any, you know, small town in North America and, you know, there's people playing Magic the Gathering, you know, people playing... World of Warcraft Online, people playing Dungeons and Dragons. So the interesting thing about what we're doing is, um, you know, although, you know, you get your sort of genres like, uh, you know, flower painting and, and, and whatnot that, you know, you're going to find a plethora of simply because that's what people can do and that's what people are used to. I think you also find if you do have this interesting, unique, difficult to obtain niche work, uh, it does have quite a large following when when you really show it and get out there um, people are really drawn to it even if they don't know the subjects and, and aren't familiar with the products um, I found you know with my work and some of my personal work um, I found a lot of people interested in in some of my work that I wouldn't expect um, I went to one of the sort of street sales and, and exhibited there like how you were saying Mark we have one in our own town. It's a it's a, called an art walk, and they they have a three day thing where they close down one of the main avenues in the city, and artists all set up for three days and uh, show and and do work on site. And uh, I set up one year and had a whole bunch of drawings of sort of mythological subjects, so you know like uh, Perseus and Andromeda type subjects you know, ladies and dragons and things that are fantasy but not franchise-based fantasy, sort of more um, mythological-type fantasy. And uh, what I found is is there was a lot of people that were drawn to that work, and that work sold really well. So um, even though it wasn't, you know, a pot of flowers or a drawing of, uh, you know, a horse or whatever, and on the flip side, it wasn't, you know, franchise-based work or, you know, famous subjects. Um, I did really well selling basic narrative art, um, mythological theme narrative art. So my point is, is I think a lot of people um, in this day and age are used to these things. You know, they watch TV, watch movies. People are have fairly sophisticated tastes, if if you pull. What do you guys think about that? I I agree. Um, and I know it can be hard if you're in an area that's that's known for one specific kind of art. Uh, like the the Phoenix Scottsdale scene had tons of cowboy art. And it was such a such a successful genre, it was hard to find any venues um, that supported anything else above a, a very small price point. You know, like um, a, a place that had a clientele that would spend more than say $200 on a piece uh, was very hard to find outside of that uh, uh, specialty genre. 
Um, but uh, like, you know, the, the street fairs, the first Friday, all that sort of stuff, um, those were, were all there and, and available. And uh, I knew a, a, a number of guys who uh, made a, a perfectly pleasant income off that sort of thing and a booth at the Renaissance Fair and, and that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. I, I have noticed too, though, that even even in an area where I am that is a bit diversified because of tourism, the the people that are from this area uh, they tend to have the same interests in subject matter in their art, just like you were talking, and like in, you know in Scottsdale and in in, in Arizona, where it, where in this area of the country, people are very interested in tropical flowers and birds and and that type of thing. That you know, your your typical what you would think of like Key West type of art. You know, bright colors. Uh, you know, abstracted patterns in in you know the shapes of plants and things. And if you narrowed the focus down to 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 simply people who live in this locale, probably more of that art would sell than any other kind. Uh, like you were saying, the 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 only the, the good side to, to that to, to offset that is that there are a lot of people coming through here, like like you were saying, Mike, that come to conventions for for a different type of art, or you know, are interested in in a in, in a more archetypal kind of subject matter. Uh, to kind of offset that that localized phenomenon. Well, I, big, I would suspect I would suspect that all those people that you know may be buying you know uh, a picture of some tropical plants and a parrot for their their Florida home. I would bet you know just as many of them go home you know and, and play World of Warcraft and watch Star Wars and have D and D sessions. I would bet you know. They have the same interests as as everybody else in in every other type of you know non specific lo- locality like that. Um, so maybe it's 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 a self fulfilling prophecy where people are buying that stuff because it exists, and because they're buying it, then it's supported more. You know, obviously, I don't expect fantasy art emporiums to pop up on every street corner, but I think in my experience. There is a good reception, and you get reception from a real broad range of people that you wouldn't expect. You get, you know, a ten-year-old boy who, you know, maybe plays one of these games or is just interested in the type of character, and then you'll get, you know, the fifty-year-old woman who is attracted to, you know, more of a mythological fantasy theme, and everybody in between. So, um, I think again, the the breadth of of the genre. The fantasy science fiction genre, I think it can be more successful than is is maybe given credit for in the marketplace. But also, it just doesn't exist. Not that many people do it. So we can't expect it to be more commonplace than it is. You were going to say, Jason? I, I was going to say that, uh, you know, there's, there's strength in numbers. And when people are in a place where in, they're in the mood to buy palm trees and uh and seashells then there's an advantage to be in one of the guys who does palm trees and seashells right where people looking for that sort of thing would find you but there's also an advantage to be in the guy who stands out from the crowd 
um, it can be easier to get uh, you you can win some surprising attention by being the the one guy in this in the craft fair who is doing something really different from what everyone else is doing. I would agree with that. So let's uh, let's talk about some of the other pros and cons of uh, of living where the action is or not living where the action is. So the uh, being a big fish in a small sea or being a small fish in a big sea. Mark, do you have anything to uh, to add to that? Well, where I used to live, there were, I think the the town, the the largest city that I lived near had forty five thousand people. Uh, so it wasn't a huge area, and since it didn't have a huge thriving art community, there weren't really very many uh, artists that made a living out of of doing art, uh, you know, full time. I mean, there were a number of people who taught, you know, ta- taught in uh, in schools, uh, you know, maybe in a college classes or whatever, uh, and then showed their art in the in the limited number of galleries. But there were there were a few people who did worked that scene to their advantage, you know, as best as possible. Really made a name for themselves, you know, as as the local artist. You know, they were the the person to go to when when someone was looking for, you know, whether it was a, a local theater was wanted a theater poster. You know, they went to this guy, um, and I'm actually thinking of someone specific here, but. Um, th- if you can get into that realm, it, it can be very lucrative. Whereas that same person who's in an area like I live, as I live now, where there's 20 times the number of, of artists out there looking to make in a living, that's you know they're a, a, a small fish in a, in a bigger sea. And I, I think in some cases, if you're looking to work the local art scene, and you are how do I want to put this? If 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 you're willing to, to do, you're, you're going to have to mo- be more willing to do things that you may not want to do if you're the small fish, because there are so many other people who will do it, you know, because they want to, or because they're available, or because they're cheaper, or whatever. Um, but there's all there's give and takes to you know the small fish as opposed to big fish, and and you kind of have to weigh those, you know those considerations. Yeah, I think I can see first uh, firsthand how it's kind of like you're saying, it's nice to sort of be the big fish in the small sea because, you know, you, like you said, you become the known local artist, you become the guy who whatever opportunity there is, um, it seems to come, come across your plate. Um, but I think one of the main things with being a big fish in a small sea is I think you need to get out you need to go swim in that that big sea. You need to see what the the top guys are doing and not have a not have blinders on, not have a, a myopic view of of your world. So I think that's really important is is having the standards and you know having contacts and friends and and being even if you live in an out of the way place in a small sea, um, you know know what the big sea is. Have that as your standards, and uh, you know, even if you have to live in a place that has no local support, you know, make sure that you're the guy who's done the research. Um, because I can see, I've seen what you've seen, Mark, where there is, you know, certain people in your locality that 
tries to make a name for themselves off of, you know, being the local painting expert and they have a little school or they, you know, have a little following. And then, you know, some of the people that do that where I live, I look at their work and I look at how they promote themselves. And I've seen people really try to use, um, like for instance, there's one lady here and she, she tries to say, you know, oh, I'm educated at the New York University and I'm from New York and blah, blah, blah. You know, trying to sort of play on the fact that, you know, she's she's got non-localized knowledge and she's got, um, you know, she is better than you would find normally around here, you know. And another guy, same thing, you know, he tries to, to uh, really piggyback off of any non-local connections. So you can see that working with just the PR aspect, even, you know, the, uh, the realities of, of having those standards and, and, uh, having those professional contacts, just the perception that, you know, you're, you're a big fish from a big sea that just happens to be living in the small sea. Now, I think there's perceptions that are powerful and, and people, you know, are just drawn to, to somebody that they view as a, as a guiding light in the art scene. So, um, does that, does that strike any, any chord with you guys? Yeah. Um, but I, I mean, I mean, yeah, you can, that's, that's a marketing aspect that, that people use and tank. Um, I, I, I get, I'm not trying to say that I, I disagree. I just feel that the more important thing that you were, were starting to talk about um, is uh, about, isolation and being in the, in the small pond and that sort of stuff is um, you can be insulated from, from developing. It's hard to find artists that are better than you. And there's a great strength to hanging around artists who are better, better than you in at least one way. And it doesn't matter if they work in your genre or whatever, but they have skills and mastery um, that, that is, is impressive. Um, and when you can have that sort of sounding board around, uh, it's it's really easy to see what you want to do to improve and that sort of stuff. But if no one around you and no one you share your work with um, has that exposure or that skill set, it's it's really easy. I think I see people who get complacent because everyone tells them they're fabulous because nobody is comparing them to to anyone other than the you know. The high school art show. And yeah, next to the high school art show, you look amazing. Uh, but uh, I think the, that push and development, I think in a, in a small area, sometimes you've got the, the benefit of inspiration from the, from the surroundings that, you know, there's, there's a thousand artists being inspired by San Francisco, but only two of them, you know, being uh, inspired by a small town south of Boulder, Colorado. Um, and that, can add to the, the individuality of your voice, and that can be a cool thing. Um, but I think if you are in that, that small-town situation, you've got to work harder to get your work in front of people who can um, help you get to the next level in your skill set. Mm-hmm. You need to have like a, a wider worldview all the time. You need to make sure you understand what's going on, You know what the standards are, especially if you want to break in you know, to the big leagues, you can, you can live anywhere in the world and do that, but you'd better 
make sure you know, you know, what the world is like outside of your little bubble. Yes, because if you don't, there, there are always changes that occur that are unforeseen, um, that you don't really know how they're going to affect you. Um, I mean, for example, speaking as a locality here, um, the Disney Studios used to be located here in Orlando, and there were a number of animators who lived here, worked here, worked for Disney, you know, created the, uh, uh, the, the Disney animated films, the 2D animated films, and, you know, very, very lucrative positions. And, you know, across the, uh, the country in California, they started doing a lot more work with computer-generated animation. And at one point, it hit a critical mass, and, you know, nearly all the animators here in Florida became out of work because... They stopped doing it here. They closed their studios, and they just up and moved everything to, to California to do everything computer. Uh, so that was something that really hit the local scene um, pretty hard. And if you had people who, you know, had their heads down and, and blinders on and figured, you know, they were going to ride this particular one particular cash cow forever and ever until I die, you know, they got hit pretty hard with that. Um, and really had to to take a step back, and um, and I'm friends with a, uh, one particular artist that you know that that type of thing had happened to, uh, and yeah, I, I definitely agree. You need to be able to keep your you know your eyes open and, and be aware of of what's going on outside of your realm in order to to, to ride those kind of waves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not just from a work quality standpoint or an education standpoint, but from like. I think what you're saying, a diversification of clients' standpoint. And- right, and all those things are, are intertwined. Mm-hmm. All right, so it sounds like we've talked around this topic in uh, all the fashions that we intended to. Do you guys have any other points you wanted to make? Um, just that wherever you happen to be living, uh, there is an advantage to it. And uh, find it and take advantage of it. Um I, uh, I I have a couple small regrets that I didn't make more use of, you know, the, the scenery in Arizona and the cliff dwellings and, and that sort of stuff. I hit on them from time to time, but I really wish I had, you know, gotten out there and done some serious plain air studies of, of the mountains and the canyons and and those aspects that I don't have I don't have access to anymore um, that I think those those experiences of having made those studies uh, would only have, have broadened my vocabulary in a, a, a very positive way. And uh, I, I wish I had taken more advantage. So wherever you are, man, take advantage. And I guess one of the main points, too, is sort of, you know, 50% of the people are going to be, you know, living in a big pond. 50% are going to be living in a small pond. And... You know, there's aspects of each type of place that facilitate or or hinder your art creation. And I guess the important point that I think of is is uh, you really need to evaluate your particular situation realistically. Like I think it's easy to think that the grass is always greener on the other side and think that geez, you know, I, I can't really make it as an artist right now and my environment is the problem, you know, my lifestyle is the problem. If I could only move elsewhere, things would be better. And I think that's a bit of a trap. Um, 
because like I said, there's, there's up and downs to, to all the different angles of this. Um, if you live in a small pond, it's as easy as, you know, uh, a car driver and airfare once a year to, to connect with people and to fill out your knowledge base with what's going on in the industry. And, uh, you know, on the flip side, I guess, if you live in a place with lots of action, um, your your challenge may be to to minimize your expenses and to simplify your life so that you have cash flow and time. So, Mark, what were you going to say? Uh, well, building on what uh, the two of you just said, um, you know, when you, whatever area you're in, try to make the best use of the resources you have available. You know, try to find, uh, you know, your art community, people who you can talk to you know, face-to-face, that you can see their work, you can compare, you can contrast, you you have, you know, you, you have a benchmark to, to really decide, you know, what direction you want to, to go, to, you know, to, to take your work in. Uh, try to utilize the, the, the local resources, the shows, you know, that you have available to you to, to try to, um, you know, further your, your style, your name, your, your product, uh, and if if some of those things enable you to be able to spread your wings and and get you know out of town to the shows where you know you can still do the things like you talked about, Mike, the once a year to really you know just, just keep your finger on the pulse of of the larger you know artistic society that you're you, you try to be involved in, you know do what you can locally to to, to facilitate that. Um, and, and always try to find your voice and where it fits in your locale. Yeah, and we, we haven't mentioned the Internet much, but I, I hope it's kind of read that uh, the, the opportunities that opens up for communicating with other artists and uh, for you know doing paintovers of other people's work and having them do paintovers of yours and, uh, is... Uh, pretty remarkable and uh yeah i mean the internet is basically the internet solved a lot of these issues that living in and out of the way place you know i would say on balance 20 years ago living in the middle of nowhere obviously would have been an impossibility to have this sort of career but now nowadays maybe with the internet it's it's maybe the preferable situation i mean i i can think of quite a few artists that uh, purposefully live in in cheap facilitating locations for for the ability to make less money, spend less money, and spend more time on their art. Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. All right, guys. Well, good discussion. Thank you very much, gentlemen. I appreciate. I always appreciate talking to you both. Likewise. Good to yeah, hear from thanks, you too. Mark. Thanks for setting up uh, this conversation and podcast, Mark. And. Uh, well, hope you guys enjoyed it. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks a lot, guys, and we will talk to you again. All right. Ciao. Bye. Thank you for joining us on another edition of the Drawn Today podcast. If you have topics that you'd like us to explore on future episodes of the podcast, please drop us a line at Drawn Today gmail.com if you'd like to listen to archived episodes of the podcast you can find them at drawn today podcast at blogspot.com the drawn today podcast is a proud member of the visual artist podcast network 
You can find more information about VAPN at visualartistpodcastnetwork.com. And finally, today's episode's music was provided to you by Collide. Find out more about Collide and their music at collide.net. Thank you.